0: with Dr. Frank Turek. Ladies and gentlemen, is it ever appropriate for a Christian to make fun of someone else or their argument? Is it ever okay to mock people? Can Christians have a sense of humor with regard to the absurd? And if you look around our country right now, you look around the culture, there's a lot absurd. Is it okay to do that? Well, we're going to look into that, and we're going to dive into what I think is one of the most effective ministries out there, even though it's not officially a ministry. It's called the Babylon Bee. And my friend Seth Dillon is the CEO, the owner of the Babylon B. He's on the, he's been on the program before, but not in a while. And so there's some been some new developments with regard to the Babylon B. In fact, the Babylon B is right in the middle now of the presidential, uh, the presidential uh, nominating process for the Republicans. We've got Trump and DeSantis. We've got Elon Musk. We've got all sorts of crazy stuff going on, and Seth Dillon's right in the middle of all this, so I thought it'd be fun to have him on and talk a little bit about uh, the Babylon Bee. Is it okay to mock uh, bad arguments? Is that Christian? Isn't it? What's the future of the bee? What's the effectiveness of it? So it's always great having Seth on. Here he is, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) Seth Dillon,
1: President, CEO of the Babylon Bee. Seth. How are you? Always good to see you, Frank. Uh, yeah, it's, I think the last time we talked was after that first uh, Elon Musk interview that we did. And, uh, yeah. and we just did a second one, and now we're talking again. So I expect to be back on the show after we do a third Elon Musk interview. We'll just, we'll just keep that cycle going.
0: <laughs> well, we're going to get into it a little bit later. Elon, to a certain extent, has become a friend of yours. And uh, this is, uh, well, we'll get into it. We'll get into it, how yeah. it happened and what's going on now. And, but let's, let's start at square one. Uh, how did you become a Christian?
1: Hmm. <laughs> um, start there. I got my phone going off on me. Sorry. i tried to put on don't disturb. Um, I, uh, you know, I grew up in a Christian household, which didn't hurt. Um, you know, I, my, my father is a pastor, a retired pastor now. Um, and so, you know, from a very early age, I was sitting in the pews listening to the gospel, uh, preached unapologetically in, uh, you know, each, each and every Sunday, um, and had great examples in my life, you know, so I think early on, it was, I think I was 10 or 11 when I first got baptized. Um, And, and it was in my teen years when I started to, you know, develop more of a deeper intellectual faith. Um, And of course, you know, what, what comes when you, when you start exploring things and, and, and establishing the, the framework for your own worldview and, and kind of building that scaffolding you have a lot of questions and doubts and things like that, that creep in. And so there's probably a few times I I prayed the sinner's prayer and, uh, and wanted to reassure (laughs) myself that I was actually saved, but um, I never had any kind of stage where I like fell away or anything like that. I just, uh, I just was, you know, wanting to be really certain. Um, So pinpointing the exact moment for me is a little bit difficult, but um, I did come to faith as, as a young boy. And then, and then in my teens, you know, reinforced it multiple times. Um, But I've been a I've been a Christian who grew up in a Christian home and had really great biblical teaching uh, from a very early age. So um, I'm super grateful for that. Very grateful for that because, like you know, like your comment in the in the introductory introductory music that's playing, where you're talking about how you know people are easily talked out of it because they were never talked into it. Uh, I was Mm -hmm. I was fortunate enough to be talked into it. Um, many times over early on and and had a little bit of a, a foundation under me when I went off to college and separated from my parents a little bit. So um, I never, yeah, I, I I my faith only became stronger as I started going deeper into things and asking questions and reading. And I read widely. I didn't just read Christian authors. So
0: how did it come about? I mean, you were a businessman early on. How did it come about that you were able to to buy the Babylon Bee because originally an atheist by the name of Adam Ford, he became a Christian and he started it. And how did it come about that you actually took it over?
1: Well, there was a situation where um, the Bee, you know, was starting to get some traction, it was becoming popular. And, and I saw some people sharing it on Facebook back when I used Facebook. I don't use it anymore. Um, but I saw these headlines, like I saw one about how the, 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 the Holy spirit wasn't able to move through the congregation because the fog machine broke. And there was this you know, Photoshopped my image of all time. Yeah. Photoshopped <laughs> image of this sanctuary. That's just so cloudy that you can't even see the uh-huh. stage. And I loved it. I thought it was so funny. And you know, these are like inside church jokes, you know, that I was yeah. connecting with. And, and I, I remember having the very distinct thought that I wish I had created that site. I, I wish it had been my idea. And, um, uh-huh. and so I, I, I actually, cold DM to Adam Ford out of nowhere. I just sent him a message. And I was like, look, I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm an entrepreneur. Um, I'm, I'm interested in, in helping you get to whatever the next level is that you see this thing getting to I'm Like, are you looking for outside funding investment, anything like that? Um, and Adam's response was just, Hey, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm flattered that you're interested, but I'm in the middle of working out this deal right now. Uh, I'm selling the bee." Um, so sorry, but I'm not interested in taking on investor money. So I was super bummed about that because, you know, I'm like, man, I missed my chance. You know, he's in the middle of selling this Uh thing. I could have gotten in there at the beginning and been involved in it. And so I was kind of bummed about that. But about a month later, maybe two months later, he reached out to me again and he was like, Hey, do you want to meet and talk? Uh, that deal I was talking about fell through. Um, so, uh, I, I booked a flight to Michigan. I sat down with him. We had some some beer and talked about Christianity and Calvinism and and the bee and humor and satire and all these things. And we really hit it off. We became friends instantly. and uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so he started to get a real comfort level with with uh, with me and and we ended up working out a deal. So I wasn't trying to buy the Babylon bee. That's the thing is, I didn't have my eyes set on it where I'm like, oh, I've gotta own this. I was impressed with it. I thought it was great and i wanted to invest in it um but he really wanted to sell it he was really worried about I, one of the main reasons he cited for why he wanted to sell the bee was because of this big tech censorship stuff you know the, the you you right. you have to you have to pass an ideological and political test in order to have your ideas shared widely you know there was a lot of suppression of speech that was already going on this is back in 2018 and so um he was really worried about what that meant for the future of the bee. and uh, and so you know he wanted to get out while well, he still could while well, he still had something worth selling so it worked out. He was actually, he was talking to the Daily Wire at the time. That was, that was the entity that was interested in acquiring it. So, um, so I was able to snag it that's away ben from Shapiro's
0: them. That's Ben Shapiro's group, right? Yeah. That's, that's Ben Shapiro's group. Now, what changes did you make when you took it over and how much has it grown since you, since 2018 when, when you were able to purchase
1: it? I instantly turned it into a far right misinformation hub that traffics in misinformation under <laughs> the guys of satire to get Donald Trump and the like, uh, elected. Um, you know, I didn't change much. Um, Mm -hmm. I was focused on the business. You know, I, I knew that I wasn't the one who created this thing, that there were creative minds involved that are funnier and sharper than mine. And so I wanted to make sure they were able to just do what they did best and, and continue to do that. I, I came in on day one and said, look, I don't want to change this thing. I just want to grow it. I just want to pour fuel into it and see it take off. So I think that was appreciated by and by the way, we're not talking about a large team at this stage. It was this was uh in early twenty eighteen, there were like two people involved. Uh maybe a third, but there was like a third who was, you know, doing Photoshops and stuff like that. So it was a very, very small team, almost a non existent mm. team, if you can even use that word. And so, um but Kyle, who's our editor in chief now, uh, was just writing for the site initially. And, um, and he's, I made him editor in chief when I took over and he started taking control of the editorial stuff and the the content team. And we started building a team underneath him. Um, so I let him do his thing and I didn't really, um, impose my will on anything. Obviously I had opinions about things, but even my own headlines, I was pitching headlines all, all day long, <laughs> every day, trying to get something published on the B and they were being rejected. So, I mean, I was, ha- I was, uninfluential to the point where my own headline pitches were getting rejected at a 100% rate so and, I, and I, I wasn't forcing them through and telling them you have to publish my jokes so the idea that I came in you know everybody was there were a lot of people who were really disappointed that, that Adam sold the B and they were like you know I miss Adam Ford it's it's changed since, since Seth took over it's so political now you know we had a lot of that criticism that we were getting um, but there's not really much validity to that well, we're
0: gonna we're gonna show you here in a minute how you can submit headlines to the Babylon Bee. Who knows? Maybe you'll be more successful than the owner getting one <laughs> on there. And uh, also, we're gonna talk about how uh, how Seth here got in between Trump and Desantis, not by his own devices. Anyway, we're back in just two minutes with Seth Dillon, CEO of the Babylon Bee. Don't go anywhere. Welcome to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with me, Frank Turk on the American Family Radio Network. If you're low on the FM dial looking for NPR, go no further. We're actually going to tell you the truth here. That's our intent anyway, because we have the leader in fake news with us. It's Seth Dillon, CEO of the Babylon Bee. And a lot has happened since we had Seth on about a year ago. Seth, uh, recently uh, you've been in the middle of kind of a dust-up between DeSantis and Trump. What happened, and uh what's the status of it right now?
1: I don't know i mean I, I don't know how much of this is really a dust up um a lot of it is fake news you can't trust um we you know I live in Florida, so um, mm-hmm. my governor is DeSantis, and um I've been very supportive of him, you know, I was supporting him in his reelection effort uh, running up against christ and uh and Pretty much everybody was. I mean, almost everybody on the right was very supportive of DeSantis, only had good things to say about him. And then we get closer to this time where he's, you know, considering throwing his hat in the ring for a presidential run. And now all of a sudden, it's a really bad thing to have any, you know, connection to or or prior support for DeSantis. So um, it's considered betrayal. You know, it's considered betrayal of Trump if you if you have anything nice to say about DeSantis at this stage. So um but that's all personal stuff for me. You know, it's, it's weird that the B has gotten kind of gotten drawn into this because the B is the B is not a political. I mean, we do political jokes, obviously, but we're a comedy site. You know, like we're not a mm-hmm. we're not journalists. We don't have to abide by journalistic ethics and standards. We have no. St- wait, wait. Journalists have ethics. Well, Seth? journalistic Please ethics, explain. journalistic <laughs> ethics. Um, OK. <laughs> lack thereof. Uh, you know, we don't we we don't have a, a dog in the fight when it comes to, um, you know, these political things where there's we're not a publication that's going to come out and endorse anybody. If we did, it would be a joke. You know, we would do it in some satirical mm-hmm. way where we're, where we're jokingly endorsing, you know, something uh, ridiculous and laughable. Um, so. I don't know i, I the whole the fact that we've gotten drawn into this is really strange to me it kind of started with this um unearthing of some payments from DeSantis' uh uh campaign to the beeb from back in 2020 uh 2021 and someone had cropped the dates off of these payments and posted them as if you know they were they were recent payments that represented you know some kind of Ongoing and intimate relationship between DeSantis campaign and the Babylon Bee or something. And so these rumors started flying that we had been bought by DeSantis and we were in his corner and and he's paying us to make jokes at Trump's expense. And that this, you know, we're we're like opposition. Um, And it was just so comical.
0: Was this for advertising? Uh, did he want to advertise the DeSantis yeah, when, campaign? Maybe when was he was original? running
1: for re-election, he was doing list mm-hmm. rentals with a wide variety of publications. You know, it's a, it's a common way for uh, media companies like ours to monetize our large email lists is, you know, we'll rent it out to people and we're not – we don't sure. discriminate too much. I mean, if there's – obviously, if there's inappropriate offers that we don't want going out to our audience, we tell them no, but – in the case where it's you know DeSantis running for re-election you know we're happy to let him reach our audience with his message and do fundraising it's it doesn't mean that we've endorsed him or anything like that it just means that we're giving him that opportunity to do to run those ads and by the way Trump was invited to run those ads too. Uh, I, I actually joked that I'd love to see him uh, one up Desantis by paying us twice as much for email list rentals. Um, that, <laughs> that would be, would nice be to huge. See. That'd be huge. That would be huge. So uh-huh. uh, you know, it was kind of it was just framed in this way. And I, you know, there's a lot of this. I think that people, the reason people want to do this stuff, the reason that they want to, they want to act like they've exposed the bee or they've exposed me personally for you know for taking sides and in, in these or being bought by somebody. Um, they think that it will increase maybe their public profile. It will, it will, you know, if they're trying to, um, impress Trump, uh, you know, having exposed someone as being a traitor to him, will score them points with him, I guess something, something to that effect, I think is really what's kind of going on there behind all of this, but it's all silly, man. It's silly. You know, the, the email campaigns, um, were, were from back in 2021 that we're talking about and. And we, we're we hands off in the primaries. Once there's a primary that's going on, you know, we won't take money from one campaign or another so that we're not even perceived as being in the mix of any of it, which I think it's silly that we have to care about in the first place. But that's how we got caught up in it. And the next thing you know, I'm on the I'm on the cover of Rolling Stone. Uh, and they're talking about this feud between DeSantis and Trump and how we're caught up in the middle of it. And I'm like, how did we get in the middle of all this? You know, we we try to make fun of everybody. And we do, by the way, you'll find jokes about both of them on our oh, site. Yeah, you've got you've got funny
0: headlines about Trump and DeSantis and of course Biden and everybody involved. Yeah. And friends, if if you haven't availed yourself of the Babylon B, you need to go there, babylonb.com. You'll you'll definitely get a laugh. I don't care what sort of uh, political outlook you have. It's there's some funny stuff up there. And it's not all political, obviously. There's a lot there about church life, there's a lot there about relationships. Uh, I mean, you could, you could just go there today and you'll, you'll, you'll get, (laughs) here's one Satan asked LGBTQ community to please tone it down a bit. Yeah. Just going (laughs) a little bit too far. Right. Um, uh, Biden announces by 2025, all wildfires must be electric. Well, thank God he's in the white house for that to happen. Um, I mean, there's, there's just some great stuff. Oh, Southern Baptists wishing God had written some kind of book telling them who can be ordained as a pastor. That would be helpful. <laughs> How do you guys come up with all this stuff, Seth? Like, what's the process? And can people listening right now somehow
1: contribute? Yeah, they can. Um, the process is pretty straightforward. The joke is in the headline. That's where it starts. I mean, mm-hmm. we, don't, we don't just write articles and then you know, spend all this time drafting an article and doing a photoshop and put all this work into it and then say hey should we run this or not we we start with a headline it starts with headline pitches and so in kind of our own little writers community internally we we pitch headlines over and over and over again throughout the day just looking at what's going on in the world what's happening in the news what's happening in the church and so we'll make these we'll pitch these jokes where we we're writing these headlines in the other writers will kind of vote on them or respond to them with a iteration or, ver- or new version of the headline if they think they can modify it to make it funnier and so there's, it's very collaborative. It's a team effort. And we're just pitching ideas back and forth. Then once we land on some headlines, we're like, okay, that's a good one. Let's let's write an article for that one. Um, then we write it up. So we have a, a managing editor and our editor-in-chief who are kind of making those calls on which ones we're going to run with. But um, the team is really collaborating and voting on them. And then as far as like user contributions, we have um, we have a headline pitching forum that we've built on the site for people who are logged in as paid subscribers. If you're subscribed to B, you can jump in the mix Pitch your own headlines, and we will publish them if they're good. We've had we've had a number of uh, a number of people who are uh, subscribers in that forum who get published on a fairly regular basis, and we've actually hired people who have pitched enough ideas where we're like, okay, th- this person's got a, a talent, a knack for this. They've they've become a part of our writing team. So there's an opportunity to actually impress us and get on the team if you're if you're pitching great stuff. Most people don't pitch stuff that we can use, but it's still fun. It's still a lot of fun because, you know, our, our editors are in there reviewing this stuff. And so you're collaborating with our team and it's it's uh, it, it keeps things interesting. That's for sure. Yeah.
0: So how many people would you say are on the team now, like the core team and then the extended team, people who are remote and
1: are just contributing every now and then? Um, We have a dozen or so writers and uh, uh-huh. and, you know, we have some other people who contribute here and there. That are you know, just pitching ideas to us, um, who aren't, you know, on staff or a couple of part-time contractors, things of that nature. Um, so it's a, it's a small team. It's a small focus team. Um, but very productive, you know, you'd think the B is because we have, I think kind of outsized impact for how small the team actually is. It's a relatively small crew, but now at this point, because we're doing so much in video, we have a whole team dedicated to that. So we have video editors and producers and, and actors and, you know, Graphics and lighting and all of those things have to be handled. So uh, there's a whole separate team for all of that stuff.
0: Yeah, in fact, there's a whole video world. Go to the Babylon Bee YouTube channel, friends, and also go to the Babylon dot com and scroll down and you'll see some of the videos. In fact, I'm, I'm on one of the uh, videos today because we just did a podcast when I was out. Uh, where the Babylon Bee is, and I can't tell you where it is because I would be (laughs) shot if I did. But anyway, when I was out uh, in the Babylon Bee area, we did another podcast, and so that podcast talks about the embarrassing testimony that is in the New Testament that obviously is probably not made up. You don't make up embarrassing stories to get yourselves beaten, tortured, and killed (laughs) Um, it's not something you're going to do and there's so many embarrassing stories in the New Testament we did a whole podcast on it now you're and you're talking about things like did...
1: uh, like women being the first to discover the tomb and things like oh, yeah. that right yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah and the men running away and you know uh, Peter being called Satan by Jesus and I mean this is Jesus being called demon possessed I mean mm. you're not going to make that up you know he's got prostitutes in his bloodline this is not an invented storyline you know and uh, the Babylon Bee, you guys did a, uh, a skit probably about a month ago. I'm trying to remember the name of the, the title of it, but it's basically a skit where all the apostles get together after the crucifixion and they go, What can we do to keep this thing going? I know right. we'll steal the body and say he rose
1: from the dead. And then what happens? Right. And you, we'll all
0: get brutally tortured and murdered.
1: And what you a got great like idea. one guy who's like pushing back and saying, Yeah, but guys. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that was a fun it's one. It's really a great apologetic. That was a Seth. fun one. It really is. Yeah,
0: yeah. It's a great apologetic. It's got over half a million views, mm. and I, I could see pastors using that in their sermons. And so, pastors, can they do that? Can they play Babylon B stuff in their sermons? It's on yeah. YouTube. I guess uh, yeah, can. We we encourage yeah. them
1: to do that. We've um, we've made some videos specifically for that purpose. There was one. Um, it's a good apologetic video too that we had done. That was about how it actually started as an article, and then we turned it into a video about how. Uh, it was the headline was something like, what has God done for me lately? It says atheist breathing air. And the whole article was about all these things that the, <laughs> the atheist is benefiting from that are gifts from God what, and that are enabling him to object to God's existence. Um, and we turned wow. that into, we turned that into a video, which is pretty cool. And a lot of pastors download that one and use that one in their, in their sermons when they're, when they're trying to use it as an illustration. So um, yeah, I mean, I encourage pastors to you know throw our articles up there and, and use them in their their sermons it's a fun way of making a point with a little humor
0: oh it's it, and it's it's humor reaches people in ways that straight didactic teaching doesn't and the, the name of this video by the way it was released march 30th 2023 you go to the babylon b website and and scroll down on the videos i think it's about on page three is uh, the title of it is or if jesus's resurrection were a hoax if jesus's resurrection were a hoax, check that out friends because it is a great apologetic and you will laugh uh while you're while you're watching it and you go yeah they never would have invented this it makes absolutely no sense that they would invent that <laughs> they steal the body and then get themselves right. beaten tortured and killed it's just not going to happen and yet people don't stop long enough to reflect on that and realize that this is not a made up story now we're coming up to a break here and we come back from the break Uh, We're going to ask Seth a little bit about uh, Elon Musk and also about, is it really okay to mock others? I mean... But isn't that anti-Christian? How are we going to reach people if we mock them and make fun of them? So don't go anywhere. We're going to be back in just two minutes. And, oh, by the way, uh, every Wednesday night in uh, Charlotte in June, I'm going to be at Central Church of God, 7 p.m. We've already done two sessions. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. we got two more. Go to our website, crossexamine.org, for more on that. And we'll see you here in two minutes. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with me, Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. My guest today, Seth Dillon. Before I get back to Seth, I want to mention Sunday, June 25th, will be at Cross Life Community Church in Charl- Charlottesville, Virginia. And then that night and all day Monday, I'll be at the Think Well Conference in Charlottesville. That's for uh, teenagers, so you got any teenagers, hope you could send them there. Also, don't forget about Summit Ministries out there in Colorado, summit.org. They're also down in Georgia, and uh, it's a great place to send your young person 16 to 22 for two weeks of Christian worldview, apologetics, philosophy, theology, and there's a lot of fun that's had, too, there. So check out summit.org in addition. Okay, back to my friend. Seth Dillon, CEO of the Babylon Bee. Now, for me, Seth, I think the bee plants seeds of truth in people who would never listen to someone like me or a preacher or read a book on apologetics. Uh, it, it's kind of a real unique way. Humor just, just breaks down barriers so well, and you guys do it so well. Have you had other people, have you ever had skeptics, or atheists, or just non-Christians say to you, wow, I really love your site? I mean, obviously Elon Musk does, but uh, have you had other people say the same thing? Wow, that, that's, that, were, that was really a good point
1: you made through humor. Yeah, all the time. I see some of that publicly. I also get some of it privately. I'll get DM'd every now and then by people who say, hey, you know, I'm not on the same page with you. I'm not religious anyway. I'm, I actually consider myself agnostic, or I'm an atheist, or something like that. Um, but I love your humor, and... And, uh, and, and every now and then, yeah, they'll point to a specific joke and they'll say, this was really good. Or this, you know, this caused me to see this issue from a different perspective than I had before. And they'll admit that. And I know if I'm getting some of those messages, because most people are not going to say something like that. They're not going to reach out to you and say, Hey, by the way, you changed my mind on this issue, uh, with this joke. You know, it's, it's very uncommon. I think that people would actually reach out and admit that or say that. So it's got to be happening a lot more than I'm aware of uh you know people mm-hmm. just aren't publicly announcing it or, or or sending me a message to let me know about it but for sure I mean there's a lot of people there's a lot of a lot of atheists and agnostics um in our audience who may agree with us politically on things or see a lot of the issues from the same perspective as we do They're just not religious um and I think that's great because we touch on faith topics all the time. Um, So all these people who are following us, you know, they are getting the gospel presented to them every now and then, and they are being, they are having their worldview challenged every now and then. So, so they're having to uh, you know, they might, it's kind of like one of those things where you're kind of sweetening the medicine and making it taste better. Um, They're enjoying the content. They're liking the content, but it's coming along with something that maybe irks them or rubs them the wrong way, but they're willing to tolerate that to keep getting the content I think that's great because it just means we're, we're slipping the messaging through past their defenses. They're, they're letting the wall down enough that our message is getting through. And that goes back to, I've, I've probably shared this with you before, but the quote by G.K. Chesterton where he said, uh, you know, humor can get in under the door while seriousness is still fumbling at the handle. And I think, that's, uh, that's, I think right. that's a great way of putting it.
0: There was another playwright, I can't remember his name, but he was a famous playwright who said, get them laughing and when their mouths are open, pour truth in them.
1: Yeah yeah and that's I, a good I thought one
0: that was a great quote yeah that was a harold
1: harold Klerman. you had shared that with one with me right. i think yeah harold Klerman. yeah it,
0: yeah that's true it, it it is when people when people laugh then the, their minds their their defenses are down it's certainly it better than getting them angry um yeah
1: yeah yeah, right. yeah if you're very uh if you're if you're if you're confrontational and contentious in the way that you address somebody or you're condescending even worse uh Mm. people's, people's defenses are going to be up in a way that's abnormal. They're going to be more on guard and they're going to be much more resistant. I think, I think humor has that, um, has that disarming effect where, where, you know, the opposite is the case where people are kind of, you know, they're laughing along with you. And so maybe they're a little bit more willing to hear what you have to say. You're not, you're not the enemy if you're making them laugh.
0: That's right. And C.S. Lewis said something like, uh, he talked about watchful dragons. I think was his phrase, if I'm if I'm remembering it correctly. Humor just gets rid of the dragons who are watching uh, and gatekeeping information, because you know today's society you can create you can create your own echo chamber where all you hear is your worldview. You never hear a counter worldview, or you never hear a counter idea. And humor can puncture through that as well. And that's what the Babylon B does. Also, I remember Pascal s- saying something like, before we really want to give somebody the evidence that Christianity is true, it might be better to get them to want it to be true.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, And then, the, then maybe they're going to be open now to the evidence. <laughs> oh, so you mean this is really true? And that's one of, the thing I, one of the things I think the Babylon Bee can help with. When they see a bunch of Christians who get together and make other people laugh that that's an affinity that people suddenly get with other Christians and that can bring them into the Christian fold and say, I I might want these, this worldview to be true. So it's a very important, but I got to ask you this, Seth, because you know, some Christians are going to say you, you can't mock people. You're going to drive them away. It's not Christ. Like they haven't read much of the Bible, by the way, if they say that, but how would you respond?
1: It's a common thing. I, I hear it a lot. Um, and it's why I now, I, I give a defense of mockery. I, I actually argue, uh, I, I argue that there's a moral imperative to mockery. And I, and I, I do it very, for a very explicit reason, because it is a common, it's a common complaint about the Babylon being the way that we go about things. Mm-hmm. You know, There are a lot of people who will push back on us and say, look, um, mockery is mean, it's cruel, it's a form of bullying, you're putting people down and making them feel bad. But that's not really the purpose. I don't. I think they're kind of missing the point. They're not understanding what it is exactly that we're doing or why we're doing it. I think that there's, you know, there's a, there's a number of different ways that you can engage in mockery. It's certainly possible to engage in a form of mockery where all where, you, where all you're accomplishing is making somebody feel bad about themselves, and uh, mm-hmm. and there's no like redemptive element to it. It's all about you know you just uh, uh, you know putting them down and making them feel bad. Uh, with satire and and satire in general and religious satire in particular i think that there is this there i know because this is what this is what we do for a living there is an aim that goes much much deeper than you know trying to cut someone for the purpose of making it sting uh you're cutting for the purpose of healing it's much more like surgical precision that in a scalpel that you're using to 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 wound than it is running around with a knife and stabbing people just to hurt them and see them bleed out on the street. Um, I guess that's one way of putting it. Satire is a scalpel. It's not a knife that you're running around with and stabbing people with. Um, and and, the, and the, what the scalpel is aiming at doing is cutting out social cancers before they kill the host, before they do damage. You know, we have all these bad ideas. and And I think it's so easy to defend mockery in the current context where, you know, you mentioned there's so much absurdity in the world today. Well, there really is. But it's not just that it's laughably absurd, it's comically absurd, it's silly. There's plenty of that. It's, it's harmful. There are ideas that are catastrophic if they actually go into practice, if they're actually uh, pushed on children and, and these seeds are planted in their minds and then they grow into this, this you know, nasty ideology that has harmful effects. I think radical gender ideology is a great example of that. You have these bad ideas that are being planted in the most fertile soil possible, the minds of young children. And look at the catastrophic effects that come from it. You have. And it's not just ideas, Seth. Actually, the knife is being used on these
0: kids. Right. We can't even agree on this country that we ought not mutilate children who have been overwhelmed by this social contagion known as transgenderism. We actually have the White House. And allies on the left saying this is a good and right thing. And they're even saying we're going to come take your kids from you if you don't do this to your own children. Right. That needs to be mocked. Well, that yeah. needs to be exposed. And what's
1: so messed up about it, too, is it's, it's worth emphasizing the point that this is not just like, okay, well, the prescription is all wrong. They're saying that we should treat this problem with affirmation. We should treat it with surgery uh, and drugs it's not just that we're trying to deal with this problem that's popped up out of nowhere. The confusion mm. in these children that we're treating with this affirmation and surgery and everything is being planted there. That's what makes it a hundred times worse. Is that we're cause mm. we're cultivating and causing this confusion, and then instead of instead of correcting and dealing with the problem in an appropriate way, you know, we're affirming these children when they when they when we've convinced them that they're to be, you know, to think of themselves as being in the wrong body or something like that. So, you know, I think that the way that I've put it before is that if you, if you, you know, if you hate children and want them to suffer, you'll affirm them when they're wrong about who and what they are. And, and you'll, you'll, you'll confuse them in the first place. So it's, you know, it's, it's a, it's a loving thing to do to, to instruct and correct children when they're wrong. Um, So anyway, that's, that's all a great example. I think of how there are, there are toxic poisonous bad ideas that are uh that are spreading uh like cancer through our culture and they need to be dealt with one way or another and there's there's a number of options for dealing with it you know you can you can refute bad ideas um you can engage in argument with people and um and that's certainly fruitful and necessary um you know to quote lewis again good philosophy must exist if for no other reason because bad philosophy needs to be answered right Um, So there's there's utility for that. But you can also I think you also have a a situation on your hands where there are times where rationality reasoning with people doesn't make a lot of sense simply because the people the people that you're engaging with have abandoned reason on purpose. They've jettisoned Mm. rationality. They've given up on it. in fact, they're doubling down on saying two and two make five. They're saying men can get pregnant. They're saying there's transgender kindergartners. You know, they're they're saying all these wild things and and there's no reasoning with someone who's abandoned rationality on purpose, but you can and you must ridicule their bad ideas. Um, so I think there's a I think there's a moral imperative to that because um, you know the catastrophic consequences of these ideas. We're seeing it play out right now. I just saw a headline uh, today or yesterday about how there's now this second lawsuit from from a, a transgender teen who who has been mutilated by these surgeries and is suing the the care providers that that did this damage to them. Um, there's going to be a lot more of that. And imagine if these ideas had been laughed at instead of lauded, we wouldn't be where we are right now. Yeah, in fact, that's
0: what's happening in the UK now. Their gender clinics are closing because people who were children and mutilated are now adults, and they're saying, what did you do to me? I couldn't give you my informed consent. And so they're closing. I actually put this in the the new book, ladies and gentlemen, correct, not politically correct, about same-sex marriage and transgenderism. So check that out if you want to go further. Hey, Seth, with just a minute to go before the break, uh, Jesus went after people, uh, mocking them in several places didn't
1: he yes yeah well yeah he used he used uh he used some mockery um he used kind of satirical hyperbole oftentimes mm-hmm. um and these are like they're rhetorical devices you know and and when they're done yeah. for a from i think for a moral purpose to make a point um to expose a bad idea for what it is to expose foolishness for what it is to reinforce the uh, tr- the truth, or, or a truth about something important and necessary and good, um, you know, that's easily defensible. It's, it's a, it is the Christian thing to do. It's the right thing to do. It's the loving thing to do. It's a lot better than lying to people.
0: Yeah, yeah. And if you don't think so, friends, just go read Matthew chapter twenty-three. <laughs> if you're not supposed to at the appropriate time mock people, then Matthew 23 shouldn't be in the Bible. We got a lot more with Seth Dillon, more uh, on Seth and Elon Musk right after the break. Don't go anywhere. We're back in just two minutes. The Babylon Bee Guide to Gender. That's going to be a book, ladies and gentlemen. It's coming out in September, but you can pre-order it right now. I mean, you don't need... You don't need the academic work, correct? Not politically correct. You need the Babylon B Guide to Gender. So pre-order it now, because in September when it comes up, if uh, Joe Biden and his and his minions are at your door trying to take your child from you because you're not gender affirming them, you'll have the Babylon B Guide to Gender to help you navigate through that difficult problem. So uh, no, seriously, go go order that book now, uh, and uh, we'll probably talk about it again when it comes out. The Babylon B does a great job poking fun and uh, actually applying some mockery to these absurd ideas. And sometimes those, that kind of mockery can wake people up and, and get them to realize that, that, that this idea is, is not only bad, it's evil. And, and so that needs to be done. Look, I, uh, Elijah mocked people, he mocked the prophets of Baal. Jesus mocked the Pharisees, who, by the way, were the politicians of the day. So mocking politicians for their bad ideas is something Jesus personally did. So don't say that it's something that you can't do. You can do it. You have to be careful when you do it. But if you do it in a, in, in the right way, it can be very effective. So, um, Seth, we mentioned a little bit Elon Musk. You had your first interview with him. Uh, that that came about why. He, he was following you and... Uh, how did it turn out that you actually had an interview with him? And then another interview just recently.
1: Uh, the first one was was wild. It was like, I mean, we loved that he was following us and he was starting to engage with a lot of our content. He was putting like, um, you know, laughing, rolling on the floor, laughing emojis underneath some of our articles and engaging with a little bit of our content. Mm-hmm. And and uh, and he was following us. And um, and one of one of the guys on our staff sent him a DM we didn't really put like any effort into customizing this dm but like sent him this like template dm that was you know uh telling him about how we have a podcast and we'd love to have him in our studio at some point if he has the availability and it was like this lengthy thing is like three paragraphs long very very technical and serious and and musk instantly replied to it and 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 he was like what are you guys doing in california we have an office out in california and uh and that was one of the things that was mentioned in that message and that's all he responded to was like what are you doing in california it's it's a horrible place to be what are you doing there And, um, and, and this guy replied to him and was like, oh, well, you know, we love the weather out here. It's a nice place to live. And I'm, and I'm looking at these messages going back and forth. I'm like, what are we talking to Elon Musk about the weather for? You know, like, let's like, you know, let's, let's lighten this up a little bit, crack some jokes, get him to, you know, ask him to come on the podcast, like in a, in a, in a fun way and, and engage him. Um, so I jumped in and started chatting with him and told him, you know, we'd leave California. If he came on our podcast, just tell us where to meet him. Um, and so it ended up working out that we, we just, it struck up a conversation with him. I'm glad the DM went out there. I didn't, I didn't approve it or review it beforehand, but it ended up working out that he did, he did ask us at the last minute. He's like, all right, I'm, uh, I'm around this weekend, come to Austin and let me know where you are and I'll come meet you. So, um, he never handed us off to an assistant or anything. We just talked to him directly through DM until we had the whole thing set up. So it's pretty cool, but he's been a fan of ours for now for a couple of years. Um, and this second interview that we just did with him was out in San Francisco I had told him uh I really wanted to next time I talked with him do it at Twitter headquarters because I wanted mm-hmm. to you know I just wanted to have this kind of victory lap moment where we sit down in the enemy palace have a drink <laughs> toast each other and and celebrate you know the victory that is taking over you know Twitter which was dominated by these uh, uh progressive tyrants who were trying to stamp out our voice and make comedy illegal and uh and he liked that idea and eventually we found some time on his on his calendar that worked for us to go out there. So it's a fun interview. It's just an hour of us sitting there and kind of just chatting with him. It wasn't super structured. We weren't interrogating him the way a lot of journalists do. We were just hanging out with him at Twitter and, and enjoying a little bit of time with the guy that broke, busted us out of Twitter jail.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Explain how you guys got in Twitter jail. You were actually, um, you were, your account was frozen
1: because you tweeted what out, (laughs) Uh Okay. Well, USA Today had done this story naming uh Rachel Levine, who's this transgender health admiral in the Biden administration. They named Rachel Levine one of their picks for Women of the Year. I guess they have like five women every year that they pick for like their – these are the notable women of the year in our country, and they list them out. And one of them was a man, Rachel Levine, who identifies as a woman right. and dresses like a woman. And so, you know, this is just like beyond parody itself, you know, so it's so like, all right, well, what would be a great satirical response to this? The fact that the, that, that a, a male person has been named woman of the year, which by the way, is, is insulting to women everywhere. It should be very upsetting to women that, that this award sure. is being given to a male person. So we did a joke in defense of sanity and women where we said, okay, well, our pick for man of the year for our pick for man of the year is Rachel Levine. So. So we mm-hmm. kind of just flipped it on its head and named him Man of the Year, which is, you know, misgendering, according to Twitter's old policies. They've, they've since updated those under Musk, but... Um, you know, it's considered misgendering, which is considered hateful conduct. And this is the, this was the crazy thing, Frank, about how Twitter was being run before is they were, they literally described themselves as a platform for free expression without barriers that that, those are their words, not mine, a platform for free expression without barriers. But then they list all of these barriers and a lot of the barriers are ideological. There's things that you can't do and say, you can't dead name, you can't misgender. And it's the nuttiest thing because, you know, most Americans still believe that it's misgendering When a male person refers to himself as she or her, um, that's misgendering. That's, that's actually factually wrong to, to give, you know, uh, female gendered pronouns to a male person. So, you know, the idea that you have to either agree with or affirm their radical gender ideology or just stay silent in order to avoid getting suspended. Those are your only two options, affirm or keep your mouth shut. Um, and we decided not to keep our mouths shut and actually joke about this stuff. And that was the crime that got us locked out. So we were in Twitter jail for eight months. They wanted us to delete the joke, which I, this is, this is also crazy to me. Censorship is when, you know, somebody says something you don't like and you prevent them from saying it, you take down, you know, you take it down, you delete it, whatever. They wanted us to delete it. They wanted us to admit that we engaged in hateful conduct. And we said, no, like we made this decision very quickly. We looked at this email that said, you know, you have, your account will be locked unless and until you delete this tweet and admit that you engaged in hateful conduct. And we said, no, we're not doing that.
0: Thankfully, you didn't. And you had to have some billionaire buy Twitter to reverse that. Yeah, (laughs) and you know... $43 billion later... The Babylon B a, a Twitter account has been unlocked.
1: Well, we gave Elon Musk an IOU for $44 billion and told him, you know, that's as good as money, sir. So, um, <laughs> you know, right. we, we we made it right. Uh, we've paid that debt. Um, but, yeah, $44 billion. And, and, and this is the thing. We cannot be dependent on benevolent billionaires to solve our speech problems in this country. You know, the, that's right. The that's right. Um, the. It, it, there there is obviously there's two fights that have to be fought at the same time we have to fight for the 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 truth we have to defend the truth um articulately and intelligently but we also have to fight for our right to speak it in the first place and that's the crazy place that we're in which is a weird place to be in in a free society right is defending your right to speak the truth but but we do we have these privately owned platforms and the law hasn't caught up to the fact that that censorship is now happening the vast majority of public discourse is happening on these platforms. That's where censorship is now dangerous for Americans. It's not the government censoring you. They can do it through these platforms and they have, and that's a problem. But the first amendment was, was designed to protect us from uh, the greatest threat to speech, which was the state itself. Now in the modern digital age, the greatest threat threat to free speech and thought are these privately owned big tech platforms. And the law hasn't caught up to that yet. So this is, it's a function of the law. I think that it's, it wouldn't be unconstitutional to have some kind of law that protects against viewpoint discrimination and, and allows you to speak freely in what's now the modern digital public square. Um, I think there's, there's plenty of good arguments for that. Um, we shouldn't have to depend on Elon Musk or someone like him to come in and, and restore freedom to these platforms. It's not, that can't be the way that it works because it's just, it's, just, it's amazing. It's a miracle that it happened once.
0: Why do you think the left has become the, the group most... Uh, most interested in censorship, even having the government censor conservatives or anyone that disagrees with woke ideology they're supposed to be the champions of free speech, at least allegedly
1: they were. What happened? uh well, yeah, what you mentioned woke ideology, wokeness is a big part of it, you know wokeness, mm-hmm. um Wokeness is fighting against the truth it's It's literally waging a war on reality, and it's hard to it's hard to fight reality. Uh, well, you're, well, people are still allowed to say things that are true and defend reality. Um, it's mm-hmm. a lot easier if anytime someone does that, if any time someone challenges, if, if if you're saying that two and two make five and I say, no, actually two and two make four, it's a lot easier to win that debate by refusing to have it and just shutting me up in the first place and taking my platform away and, 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 t- and uh, stapling my mouth shut or cutting out my tongue. Um, in the it name of
0: inclusion tolerance in, in the name of, of course.
1: Yeah. In the name of yeah. liberalism. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I think it's really that simple. It's, it's, you know, if you can't, if you can't coherently articulate uh, or rationally defend your worldview, then the next, be- the, the way to make your worldview prevail is by, you know, shutting up whoever dissents. Um, and that's a, it's, it's tyranny. It's, it's, a, it's oppressive. Um, it's authoritarian. Uh, it's all the things that they claim to reject, but that's what wokeness is from from the top all the way down. You know, they uh, what, what's the one of the chief things that they say wokeness is all about? It's about fighting systemic injustice, right? It's about injustice. Mm. They wanna they wanna right wrongs. Well, they commit all of these wrongs in the name of righting them. Uh, you know, they they perpetuate yeah. inju- they they answer injustice with more injustice. So it's that's just right. yeah. they're they're really just taking every good thing and turning it on its head and inverting it. So really, they, it's not like they have an alternative set of values. It's just anti-values all the way through.
0: Yeah. Well, actually, I would say they they do have an alternative set of values, and the value is you just have to acquiesce to whatever they say. Yeah. Right. Yeah. If they're not going to live by the truth, they're going to live by power. Right. So if you're not going to try and govern or interact with people on principle, you will try and govern or interact uh, with people by shutting them up. That's what they're doing. Uh, yeah. Hey Seth, quickly! How can Christians support the work you're doing? What can they do? Uh,
1: well, I mean, there's the obvious you can certainly subscribe. The, to yeah, the B, you can right? you can yeah. subscribe. Yeah. Sure, I, I love when people share our yeah. stuff. I love when they subscribe. Uh-huh. That's great. We need the support. Um, but I think the best way to support what we're doing in the fight for for free speech is to speak the truth boldly and unapologetically. Never censor yourself. When you do that, you're doing the tyrants' work for them.
0: Absolutely. Seth, great having you on. Ladies and gentlemen, Seth Dillon from the Babylon Bee. You need to go to BabylonBee.com. Be a subscriber. I am. You can also get uh, pre-order the new book, The Babylon Bee Guide to Gender. You don't want to miss that one. All right, friends. Great being with you. Hope to see you here next week. God bless.